This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on today's show, we are going to be breaking down the top 50 players that Oregon has on its roster going into the 2021 football season. And this is a list that has been compiled by Eric. Um, real quick, how did you come up with this list? What was the criteria? What were the things that you were looking at to, to have on this list? Because there are some guys who have very little playing experience that are highly ranked. And there are also some other guys that have a good amount of playing experience and are d- further down the, 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 t- the totem pole, if you will. Yeah. So this was, this was envisioned. And by the way, go check out the, uh, the stories on duckterritory.com. I, I have five different pieces, each of them ranking, you know, top 10, then 11 through 20 and so on. So you can take a look if you want kind of more of my, my reasoning and logic behind each selection. And those are written in a story um, and along with the full list, which we're not going to read one through 50. So if you want, if you do want to see kind of how I have it, you know, number by number, go check those out on duckterritory.com. The conceit here is basically, this is what I'm thinking after the season, this list will look like. So these are the guys that I think after the season, we're going to look back and say, Hey, this guy was the best player. This guy was, you know, not quite as, I don't think this guy's going to have quite of a good of a season for whatever reason. So I move him down. And and some of that's obviously predicated based upon um, last year. And who, you know, who performed well. I mean, that's somebody who had a good season in 2020 is probably going to be a little more highly rated in, in, in this year. But then also based upon positions, you know, who's got a chance to start, who doesn't, that is impactful. Um, and then most recently what we saw in the spring for some of the position groups where maybe it's not as clear who's going to start or a guy like Justin Flo, who we might want to talk about, who I have pretty highly rated for someone who I don't think is going to be a starter. I have him rated above a couple of starters. I was just really blown away by his his skill set in the spring game. And frankly, that's a guy who we'll talk about where he's lighted maybe in a second. He could be higher on this list by the end of the season in a best case scenario. So kind of a combination of what, you know, this is ultimately what I think is going to happen, the, you know, where these guys rank at the end of the season. But the, the I guess the methodology is, is looking back at the way the 2020 season played out, the 2021 depth chart, and then kind of the, some of the things you might have learned during spring practices. So starting, we're not going to run through the full list, but some notable names that made the top 50 that are ranked 41 to 50 that I think would maybe catch people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordan Happel, a guy that started multiple games for Oregon at safety. It checks in at number 42. Steven Jones, um, a guy I think is going to be in the NFL, is 41. Um, we've also got some newcomers on the team in Damon David at 46, a safety, and also Dante Thornton, a wide receiver at 43. The one out of this 50, 50 to 41 range, mm-hmm. hardest one to, to position here, and, and why did he fall or rise? 
Yeah, I had a hard time at number 50, honestly, with Braden Swinson. Um, defensive lineman. I just don't know. He didn't play in the spring game. He wasn't available for the spring scrimmage. At least I didn't see him. And I don't know exactly where he's playing. If he's playing the same position KT is playing, he's now potentially not even the number two in line to play there because I think Adrian Jackson has pretty clearly aligned himself there. So there's that. And if he's playing on the defensive line, I don't know exactly where he is at either. So it's just kind of, it was a tough one. I love his upside. I thought he really came on strong at the end of last season. So I wanted to include him. I just, a guy without a role to really have. So I, I hesitated there. He was actually um, kind of a last second addition. I, I had had uh, a couple of offensive linemen I was fiddling with there. A couple of defensive backs I was fiddling there. Um, but Swinson ultimately got the choice just because I think his upside's high. I just don't know where it fits. Um, with that group. Another one that was tough was Patrick Herbert for similar reasons of like, I have him as a, the third tight end on this list. I could very easily see him being the first or second tight end or the fourth or fifth tight end. Cause tight ends just so up and down. I have him 49th on this, on this list total. And like I said, the third tight end, um, just tough to kind of figure out some of these position groups where, where guys are going to play out, especially with a limited spring. So I think 49 and 50, honestly, the black, the back end there, were guys where I was just kind of juggling, like, hey, do they belong on here? Do they not? Are they going to have enough playing time and opportunity or not? Herbert didn't play at all last season. We don't like really have a ton of understanding, but he looked good in the spring. So sometimes it's a lot of conflicting information. It's kind of hard, but I thought those two guys at least deserve to be on the list this year. Kind of surprised Swinston is so low. I would have personally had him higher, a little bit higher up the list. Um, but it's a good starting point. And it takes us to the next level where we're at 21 to 30. And this is, or excuse me, 31 to 40. Right. And this is where I think probably, Eric, it gets really difficult. Like you kind of already know who's in the 40, top 40 range, but really hammering home where they fit in this group from 40 all the way to one is the hard part because Oregon's is, roster is pretty talented um yeah. we've got a couple of guys that have played very little college football uh kingsley suamatia we've got um triquez bridges we've got jay butterfield we've got ty thompson we've got dante manning we've got sean dollars all these guys <laughs> yeah have either like four or five games or less under their belts at oregon and yet they're in the top 40 which i think speaks to the, the level of play that Oregon is is doing on the recruiting field because they're bringing in talented dudes. And these are all guys that have basically joined the program last two or three years, which if you listen to a previous podcast, we talked about the blue chip ratio. These are guys that are factoring into it. And this is why Oregon's elevating themselves. This was, this was a weird group to put together because this was basically, you know, 21 through 30. The, the front end of 21 through 30 is still guys I think are in the two deep the pretty clearly the back end are guys that are kind of borderline. This group is like guys where you run through that list there, but like, I don't know if Kingsley Triquez, Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson, Dante Manning or, or Sean dollars. I don't know what those guys' roles are period. I mean, and that's kind of where this became difficult. I think very, very highly of that group. Um, I think Kingsley's going to be a, a star. I just don't, I have him at 32 because I don't know if he's hundred percent starting or playing a ton this year. The same thing with the quarterbacks. I put all three quarterbacks, the backups, I should say, on this list, just because I think I figure one of them is probably going to establish himself as the backup, but it's just way too early for me to pick one of them and just discount the others. Um, 
the cornerback situation is tough, as I said earlier, in terms of I have Bridges and Manning kind of clumped here together, 36 and 39. But like one of those two guys could jump up and take the starting job for DJ James. Just as likely one of those guys could get passed by like a Jalen Davies or a Avante Dickerson or a Darren Barkins and not even be on this list. And then the hardest one on probably maybe the most difficult person to rank period on this is Sean Dollars. Cause I think yeah. he's probably going to be their third running back if he's healthy, but, but he might also not be significantly hurt right now. Yeah. He might not be available much this season, in which case does he really deserve to be in the top four team? And should I put a Trey Benson or somebody in there? That part made it difficult. I, I thought I needed to have three running backs. Spoiler alert, CJ Verdell and Travis Dyer on this list. Um, they are top 50 players. But it was hard for me to know what to do with a third running back. I think Dollars is ultimately the most talented of the group, but the injury part made it tough. I, mean, I think in a perfect world, I'd probably have him somewhere in the 21 to 30 range, but the injury makes it kind of tough to know where to place him. It, without a doubt, is Dollars is a tough one because I'm with you. Like I think he, before the, the spring injury, was in a position where he was going to have his coming out party in the spring. Verdell and I were going to have very limited reps. Spring game was going to be all about dollars. And we, we were going to be here just boasting and taking in awe of how well he looked and how he's the future at running back. And now it's kind of opened the door for some other guys. But I still think if he gets healthy in time, he's, he will be the third team running back and he will, he will get probably 50 to 60 carries uh, this coming season. Mm-hmm. Interesting that that you you've got all three cornerbacks in the top forty. Butterfield, Thompson, obviously check in at this group. Um, Robbie Ashford was in the previous group, and then the, the there's I think there's two guys on here that I'm saying don't sleep on these guys because they could move up, and that's Chris Hudson at 31 and Adrian Jackson at 35. I think both of these guys and are in a position where they could become household names by the end of the year. I mean, this is how crazy it is. I have Chris Hudson 31st on this list. He's the sixth, he's the sixth highest rated wide receiver. And that's where it was tough with Hudson, because I think from a talent perspective, he could be a top 15 guy on this team. I don't have any doubts. I think he's extremely dynamic, but is he going to play enough? Is he going to be, I think he's going to be probably Oregon's kickoff returner. Yeah. Maybe the punt returner, so you'll see him on returns. But like, it's going to be tough for him to move maneuver this, and and, and maybe he's just going to be so good that he ends up jumping over a Jalen Red or a Micah Pittman or somebody. I don't know, or or maybe I have I have a true freshman ahead of him that we'll talk about in a second. Maybe I'm being too complimentary and thinking too much of of a guy who just enrolled, and maybe Hudson's going to establish a bigger role there. But like, it's kind of hard to have a guy in like your top fifteen if you think he's not a starter and frankly, might be, you know, the fifth or sixth best receiver on the team. So that's where that got tough because I love Chris Hudson. And I'm with you on Adrian Jackson. That was a tough one as well, just because I think we talked about Sean Dollar's injury stuff. We don't Jackson's been hurt for basically almost two full years. Um, And he played a little bit last season and had some moments, I think, against UCLA where he played pretty well. But it's just been in and out of lineup too much to really know what to expect. But when he's healthy, I think he could be a guy who's much higher on this list too. So that was another one of those push pulls. Plus he's going to be at best a second team guy, or I shouldn't say at best. He's going to be a second team player as opposed to a starter. Cause I, I believe he's playing behind KT and, and we know he's not losing that spot. Yeah. KT's not going to come off the field. No. 21 to 30. Now we're getting into that like star range guys that are really, really good. And 
I think have the chance in the, either this year or next year to go off into the NFL. Now, interestingly, you included two special teams guys here. Oh, you know, uh, you know me. I love my Henry Calvin checks in at 28 <laughs> and Tom Snead checks in at 30. I, I'd love to understand the value here of these guys in the top 30. I think they're both all conference caliber specialists. Um, Cattleman has shown a leg. He's hit 40 plus yard field goals in games. He had a 52 yarder in the spring game. Um, I think if he, he has that consistency, he's absolutely one of the 30 most valuable guys on the team. I think Tom Snead gets slept on. He was the second in the Pac-12 last year for for punters that qualify in punting average. Um, you know, his punting average was less than a half yard below what Blake Maimon did done the previous season. And we all had spoken so highly of Maimon. I think quietly Snee had a really, really strong season as a punter. And with a couple of guys leaving, I, I think he's probably one of the preseason favorites to be um, first or second team all-conference this year. And if you have a guy who's an all-conference caliber punter, I think he deserves to be on the list. Those guys were tough to rank because they're only on the field so infrequently, right? Like right. you're only going to see Cattleman maybe half a dozen times a game. Hopefully if the t- game's going well, you only see, you know, see T- Tom Snee one, two to three times. Maybe you don't see him at all. But those guys, when they are, the, the value those guys have when they are on the field, I think is really high. And I also maybe just a little bit subconsciously of like, Oregon typically has had a really hard time at place kicker and a really hard time at punter. And to suddenly, I think, have two of maybe the best, I don't know, five to six that they've had in the last 20 years on the same team at the same time. I think that's pretty significant. Also on this list, um, we've got a former walk-on in Ryan Walk. We've got a, is it seventh year offensive lineman in George Moore? (laughs) And we've got a freshman five-star, the greatest five-star linebacker that Oregon's ever signed and Justin Flo to give you an idea of on this list. Also, Troy Franklin made that group as well. Moving up to 11 to 20, these are almost your superstars. Um, Mace Funa is 11. Brandon Dorless is is 12. Micah Pittman is 13. And then the last quarterback on this list, Anthony Brown at 17, checks in. Uh, And then maybe the guy that could – really move into that top 10 from this group and it it be a true like whoa he has grown leaps and bounds is Spencer Webb at number 20. I, I think he could be 40 at the end of the year and he could be like eight or seven at the end of the year. He has a huge sliding scale in my mind. I agree. I have by the way I have Spencer Webb at 20 and DJ Johnson at 22 and I, I it's hard. This is we talked about time in a second ago. It's kind of hard. I don't know exactly what the hierarchy looks like. I think Spencer Webb is probably going to be the starter, but we just had a season where DJ Johnson showed a lot in his opportunity when he was starting. I thought performed really well, and then DJ Johnson didn't play the spring, and Spencer Webb did. So I mean, it's just kind of the sliding scale of like I went into spring thinking it was going to be DJ Johnson and then Spencer Webb, and then I leave thinking it's Spencer Webb then DJ Johnson. We will see what happens with that. But I'm with you. If, if, if Spencer Webb does put it all together, and we've been saying this for a long time, I mean, a really long time, his athletic traits are incredibly high. Um, he's needed to improve as a blocker. He said this spring, I think he tweeted out that he likes blocking more than catching passes now. And that's a huge yeah. shift for somebody who literally in 2019 was primarily just playing in the slot because he couldn't block. And in part that was because there were injuries, I think, but 
you know, this is a guy who, who is extremely athletic and agile as a pass catcher. And if he can become an elite blocker, you're right. He can easily be top 10. And it was just, it, it was hard for me to put him there given the lack of impact he made in 2020. And then the, I guess, lack of clarity about if he's a starting tight end or, or sharing that role or, or whatnot with, with DJ Johnson and a couple of these other guys at that position. Also on the, in the top 10 now is we're, we're going to, we're going to list all 10 here. Okay. Jamal Hill safety at number 10 wide receiver, Johnny Johnson at number nine offensive lineman, Malasala Mavelu at number eight, Travis Dye at seven, Noah Sewell at six, Isaac Slade, Matuatia at five, Jerome McKinley the third at four, CJ Verdell at three, Mikhail Wright at two and Kayvon Thibodeau at number one. Um, my first glance at this, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think from a public perspective, you'll get a lot of pushback with number Verdell at number three and Isaac Slade Matuatia at number five and ahead of Noah Sewell. That was the toughest one probably in this, uh, of this is who's, who do I rank higher? Isaac Slade Matuatia or Noah Sewell? Um, I went with the experience. I think Sewell has obviously the higher ceiling. And if I were to pick one of these guys, like if it was between one of the two for who's going to be like a you know potential Pac-12 defensive player of the year or something, Sewell would probably be my pick because I could see him making a huge leap and really ascending. At the same time, like Slade Matatia, I just look at and think he's steady Eddie. You know, he's, he and Sewell were tied for team leading tackles last year. Slade Matatia over the last two seasons has, I think, more pass deflections than any linebacker in the country um, uh, over 20 in two seasons. So he's good in pass and also in the run um, against the run, I should say. Uh, I just think he's woefully underappreciated. And, and I thought he's one of the more, he's certainly your leader from the linebacking group. He's certainly your most experienced linebacker. And heck he's, you know, you look at this list from a defensive perspective, he's, I think your most experienced guy who started. So um, I, I felt like you kind of had to go there. Sewell, obviously, with the ceiling is is really hard to ignore. And then you want to talk about running backs. I just think the ceiling, I mean, like, I think the ceiling of C.J. Verdell, I don't have, you know, we could, if someone wants to argue about it, I don't think that, I don't, I didn't have much of an issue with that one. That was pretty easy. My top three of Thibodeau, Wright, and Verdell was, was, was not a challenging trio to put together. It got more difficult when you went to four, five, and six um, with McKinley, Slade, and, and Noah. Uh, I, I think Verdell is quite clearly the best player on offense if healthy. And I'm of course, assuming he's going to be healthy. And I've said it in the past. I think if he's healthy, he could put up a really, really big season, you know, 16, 1800 yard kind of year. Um, I think he's that kind of talent. If he's healthy, he just hasn't been. I think people maybe forget what it looks like when he is all good. And if he is all good, I think he's capable of being there. If he's hurt, obviously um, things change a little bit, but I didn't have a whole lot of, Honestly, one, two, and three was pretty easy. I just kind of wrote those down. Um, four, five, and six was where it kind of got tough. And then figuring out the back part there um, was even more difficult, especially with Travis Dye, Big Sala, and Johnny Johnson the third. Those three guys were, were, were tough to kind of try to, to you know, differentiate from each other, I guess. Right. I, I agree with that. Um, I, I personally think Isaac Slade Matuatia is a top 10 player. I might not have him higher than Noah Sewell, though. Um, that's not going to go in line with the fan base, though. I think the fan base would automatically have Noah Sewell higher, and I don't think they'd have Slay Matuti in there. But I the think the fan base probably has Justin Flo ahead of 
Isaac yes. Slater to it too. Yes. So. And that's not the case. I, I think ISM is probably one of the most underrated players um, within the fan base right now um, where, where things are at. Now, there's no argument between Kayvon Thibodeau being number one. No. Was there any other option besides Mikhail Wright to be your number two player? Like how, how much of a challenge was Verdell or how close was Verone McKinley to, to number two? No, it wasn't much hesitation. I think Thibodeau and Wright were both first-team all-conference players last season, um, both capable of being All-Americans this season. I think Verdell has a similar ceiling than Wright, but just the way last year played out and even 2019 from an injury perspective – was kind of hard to put Verdell over right with some of those concerns. Um, and then Verone McKinley over CJ. I, I honestly, like I said, I think the top three was pretty easy. I went Thibodeau, Wright, and Verdell and just kind of wrote that down and then built from there. I, I think you could make an argument that if Verdell has a really special season, he'll finish above right. But I, I think my instinct here is that both guys are going to have awesome years and be all conference guys, but that Wright will be the player we're, we're talking about a little more highly after the season, at least from my perspective. I would agree with that. I, I, I I don't think I look at Verd, I look at Wright and see a guy that's going to be a potential first round draft pick. I don't mm-hmm. say that about Verdell, and I don't say that about McKinley the third. Maybe McKinley does you know grow that way. I think he's probably got the better chance to turn into that type of a player than Verdell does. But I, I don't think Verdell has a, a even like a top two or three round draft pick ceiling right now. No, Whereas, no, I'd be stunned. Basically, everybody on this list besides Johnny Johnson, Travis Dye, and CJ Verdell, I could all see them working into a third round draft pick selection. Like, obviously, for KT and for Mikhail Wright and for Noah Sewell, it would be like worst case scenario that, that they fall down to a third rounds draft pick but i i look at jamal hill and look at him and say yeah he could i could see him playing his way into becoming a third round player than this year same thing for Rome mckinley same thing for isaac slade um same thing for for miles Sala. like I, I look at those guys and say they're all gonna have a good chance at being drafted in the top three rounds of, of, of an nfl draft not this coming one but one in the next two or three years one just the last thought on this top group here. I think one guy who I could really see rising is Big Sala. I, I could see a scenario where he's just really dominant this season. His first team all conference out the door, taken in the first three rounds of the NFL, and finishes like top five on lo- this list, and is is just a big time, big time impact guy. Like I, I'm not completely shutting that part out, and I have him at eight in part because he missed the spring with injury, and and some of the guys above him have I think established themselves a little bit more to this point. But like that's the guy who I think upside wise could be could finish pretty high on this list if I'm totally honest. Yeah. He's certainly got the potential there. Um, real quick. Let's end it with this here for a second. Was there any guy that you went back and forth that didn't make this list that you thought long and hard about needing to be on there? So you're talking about top 10 or are you just talking in general? In general. Yeah, no, it, it was, there was, there were certainly some guys at the very end there. Like I said, the Swinson, Going with Swinson at 50 was was kind of a last-second change. Um, you know, I considered a couple of different guys. Um, you know, I think you look up front and there's some younger players that are also exciting. Like, you could convince me Jason Jones is going to have a better season than Braden Swinson. I probably wouldn't get 
too out of sorts over it. Um, you know, I think offensively, you could probably include a couple of these different offensive linemen that I think have high upsides. Like I didn't include Jackson Powers Johnson or, um, you know, uh, I got, I get, I did get Logan Sakapalu in there mm-hmm. um, or, or Marcus Harper. A couple of guys we've heard Jonathan Dennis, we've heard positive things about um, ultimately though. I think Swinson's the player's probably more in line to play. And, and, and so that's why I went there. So I don't think it's, I think you, you get to about 45 on this list, honestly. And it's like, okay, there's 40 or 45 guys that really need to be on here. And the back end of that last list, and part of the reason I cut it at 50, was because you get to a place where, where you really are including guys who it's not clear if they're going to play a huge role this season. And that's kind of where Swinson's at. And so, like, I I had thought of going all the way to the you know eighty something scholarship players, but eventually you get to a point where where you've got guys who are probably not going to play very much that you're discussing, and that just feels kind of counterproductive to be ranking guys who like maybe played two to three games or or not very many snaps. Period. So, yeah, no, there, there wasn't a it, it wasn't too difficult because I think once you get to fifty, you're just kind of like it's kind of the ending point. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. All right, that's a good list. If you want full breakdowns of the top 40 reasoning for all these players, go to duckterritory.com. You can find the stories linked there. And until the next time, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.